Welcome back again, ladies and gentlemen, to the Mainland Podcast. We're up to episode number 15. Joining me, Michael Citro, the managing editor of TheMainland.com, is uh, Austin David and Andrew Harrison. Guys, uh, thanks for being with me this week. It's all good. Thanks for having me on again. Way to, way to jump in there. You guys have got about <laughs> as much energy as I do tonight. So a lot a lot to get to uh, this week. Obviously, we are uh, saying goodbye to the Columbus crew for now. We're going to play them again. We're going to have our first upcoming meeting with the Chicago Fire. And um, so we're going to get into all of that. And I have I have some uh, some personal agenda things that we'll probably throw in as well. Why don't we start off by talking about a big uh, announcement that happened Friday, though? The uh, so since our last podcast, um, obviously there was there were some issues with the state funding that was agreed to that the state House of Representatives thirty million dollars that they wouldn't go and vote and just rubber stamp so that Orlando City could have stadium money uh, to add to the eighty five million they they were kicking in themselves. Uh, so you know what? They just decided, screw you guys, we're just going to do it ourselves. And it was announced on Friday, not in those exact words, that um, you know Orlando City's ownership, Flavio uh, De Silva and uh, Phil Rollins, they are going to privately fund. They're going to own and operate their own stadium. Uh, they're going to build it. The numbers we're hearing are about 130 million dollar stadium. They're going to add, you know, technology and stuff that wasn't in the, the plans they had, that they had to scale down originally so the stadium by you know i guess the long and short of it is it won't be open till middle of summer uh, rather than ready for opening day but it'll be a nicer stadium when they do open it and uh the cool thing is that the orlando city will own it and they will operate it they will be able to put other events in there if they wish and the city benefits because they get paid back for uh the land that they were donating and also the city will get income taxes or, or property taxes, I should say, off of that. So, uh, Austin, I'm going to start with you. You know, to me, this kind of came out of nowhere and, and was a great story. What were your initial thoughts when you heard the news on Friday? I mean, <laughs> like you said, this came out of absolutely nowhere. Uh, we Everyone just kind of assumed uh, it's going to get, you know, bogged down in state legislator, legislature for a while and uh, we may have to wait even longer. Um, and, you know, kudos to uh, the Orlando City ownership. Uh, they just said, we'll do it ourselves. And, you know, now it's going to be hopefully ten times better than it would have been if the the state and, you know, the city had control over it. Because now, you know, Orlando City, like they've said, uh, they're going to expand the... the um, you know the seating, so it's not going to be nineteen thousand five hundred anymore. It's going to be somewhere between twenty six and twenty eight thousand. Um, so, and then that can also be, you know, shrunk down or or built up depending on you know how things go. So they're the ha- I think uh, Phil Rollins said that they're now the masters of uh, their own domain. Yes. Which is yes. <laughs> which is always good. Uh, yeah. And that that kind of goes into, you know, what what they can do in the stadium. They can have better food and drink than they would have uh, at the Citrus Bowl, so they can, you know, possibly bring in some third-party companies, maybe Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, you know, some uh, some beer, uh, local beer breweries or something. I know you kind of wanted that. Uh, like yes, that, I, want, I want a giant craft beer deck at the new stadium. That's what I want. <laughs> And I've been told to keep the faith by the Orlando City uh, Twitter feed. So I'm going to keep the faith that we're going to get a giant beer deck at the new stadium. Uh, that's not official. That's just my wish list. And I think that they really need to cater to me on this. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if they're catering to the city, you know, helping out with, with local craft breweries, I mean, that would that would be a big step in the right direction right there, wouldn't it? It would. Andrew, let me ask you this. Uh, the... You know, the original plan was for a 19,500-seat stadium that was expandable up to about 26,000 or so. Now it's going to be between 25 and 28,000 right off the get-go. Uh, it's going to be a top three-sized stadium in MLS. What kind of message does this send to the rest of Major League Soccer from the city of Orlando? Uh, I think it really sends a strong message that 
we're here to stay and we're here to help this league grow. Um, it makes me a little nervous that we want to try to get that right off the bat, especially since Kaka's deal is only two years. Um, and right now we're probably looking at like a July move-in of next year before the stadium's even ready. We're going to have quite a short period potentially to fill that. And if numbers or our progress doesn't stay the same, we're going to be really struggling, I think, to potentially fill those seats. Um, but I think what we're showing is that Soccer is here to stay in the United States after everything we've learned this week about FIFA and just the league and soccer in general. Um, soccer is now so close to so many Americans' hearts. Why wouldn't? Why would you stay small when you know this could rival the NFL in two in two decades? I think you we're we're, we're doing it right from the get go, and this is just really how the front office has been right from the start. They're doing it right, and they're doing it right first time. Yeah, and I, I think that what's really great about this ownership group is that they're, they they really think everything through very carefully. They wanted to, you know, people were asking, hey, are you going to build a bigger stadium? And they're like, well, we're going to wait and see how the numbers do, you know. And, you know, over the course of the season so far, they've crunched the numbers and they feel comfortable moving forward with a bit larger of a stadium to start out with. And they're, they're confident in their own abilities to put a, a good product out on the field. Uh, to draw those fans, and whether it's Kaká or not, I think this this is an ownership group that's interested in winning. So they're always going to go and look for good players. So I think they're always going to try to find people that you know the, on the field that will put people in the stands. And this community, you know, over since 2011, seems to have embraced this team with such gusto that it, you know, to me it it seems like this is just a growing concern, and and that this could be. Um, the Portland really of the South because this ownership group modeled a lot of what they did on the city of Portland and what they did with timbers. And it looks like it's, it's been built the exact correct way. And it looks like everything is sort of trending the way that Portland trended as well. So hopefully we can, uh, you know, we can continue to build and grow this, this, uh, the supporters groups here uh, and the, and the, the attendance and, and just the, the the Lions fans throughout the city of Orlando and Central Florida and and really create something special here. Well, I what I want to what go ahead. Well, I go think ahead, that, I mean I think the I feel like they have I think we've all been surprised by the the strength of numbers staying in the stadium and coming back week in week out. I mean we've had some tough losses at home yet the crowds have gotten bigger. You know we've seen some people that don't necessarily have the talent that you would expect people to come in and watch and the numbers have grown. And I'm, I think that the fan base is there to kind of carry that stadium. I just, you know, we've seen teams be successful for their first few years and then drop off and then you're, you're staring at a half-empty stadium. And that, that's for me as a fan of soccer for my life is that I don't want us to all of a sudden be looking at a half-empty stadium and people shy away from that. Well, then I guess we're going to have to just win that's just gonna have to i like that i'll take be, that <laughs> that's just gonna have to be what we do um austin only one home win and yet people continue to come and support this team what do you attribute that to is it just being new or you know what do you think it is i think it's 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 being new is definitely a, a contributing factor to it uh you know it's just kind of the new trendy thing in orlando everyone's wearing purple you see purple literally everywhere you go uh about one in five cars driving down the road in Orlando has an Orlando City magnet on it. So people see that and they said, oh, well, I want to go check out this new thing. It's in the new Citrus Bowl. You know, it's a brand new stadium in and of itself. And um, you know, they have a former World Player of the Year playing for them. Uh, so I think those are those are for the casual fans. They see all that and they think, oh, well, you know, 20 bucks to go see a game. Why not? Uh, and. I, I really, I'm I'm worried for those casual fans just because of the the home results. They they kind of see, um, you know, late game uh, losing the lead and whatnot. Uh, and again, it's only what 12 games into the season. There's still about 21 more left. Uh, so it's really no cause for worry for the people who follow the team. But for those who just show up and and see what happens and they say, oh. Uh, you know, I, I read something on Twitter after the game against Columbus. Um, someone tweeted, 
that they were sitting next to a person that said, oh, they, that they can draw in soccer. Like, they had no okay. idea. So mm-hmm. Well, and, and you know, you're always going to have, like, almost any game, you're going to have at least one or two newbies that don't know the game, don't know the rules necessarily, but they're there with somebody or they're, the, you know, which is great because it means somebody thought enough to try to introduce them to this sport. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you talked about the the late losses, but you know, it seems like forever ago that the Vancouver and DC United losses happened. In fact, the two of the last three games have been late comebacks by you know Orlando City, and of course, sandwiched in there a four nothing shellacking of the the defending champion LA Galaxy. Mm-hmm. So the results have gotten a little better, and certainly it's been exciting. Um, and why don't we just segue now into our, our Columbus discussion where, you know, obviously um, not thrilled to draw uh, with a team that was down a man for 70 minutes uh, to, you know, the first goal came very early. Um, the second goal came completely against the run of play. And it wasn't that Orlando City wasn't generating chances and absolutely dominating. They just had a whole heck of a lot of trouble uh, finishing and it wasn't, I mean, I think something like 24 shots, something like 14 corners uh, in the match. It was it was pretty total domination, as you would expect, uh, against a team uh, playing down a man. But uh, Orlando City just couldn't put it in the net. And, Andrew, why don't we start with you? This is a kind of a thing that when you rely on young players, you're going to have to put up with young player inconsistencies, aren't you? You are, and uh, I think we've seen it. Time and I don't want to say time and time again because Laren has started to find his his rhythm a little bit. But of course, we you know we're losing we're going to lose him to international duty, and that does throw off younger players. It's not like they're the consummate professionals they're used to doing this week in week out or traveling all the time. Um, they do get out of their rhythm a lot easier, and I think being we've got so many people who've already had 100 game under their belts, Akugu, Shea, Kaka, Colin. You know, we've got so many people who are seasoned professionals, and then we're expecting basically some guys up front who Ribeiro hasn't had a lot of playing time in the last few years. Laren is brand new. Rochez has been playing a completely different style of football, um, and we've been relying on those guys to score goals, and they've been doing it, but... It's really at a, like a 40% conversion rate right now. You know, 24 shots and two goals isn't a great ratio that you want to see as a fan. <laughs> no, no, especially with the the, the point blank chances uh, that that we had on on Saturday night. It was um, I, I knew it wasn't going to be Laren's night when he tried <laughs> to chest the ball into the net instead of <laughs> using his head. Yeah, it was, and that was a wicked cross from Ramos, and that really should have been a goal. But there were so many that should have just absolutely been a goal. Now, a couple of them, you take your you take your head off and tip it to to Steve Clark, uh, Columbus's goalkeeper, who did a, a really nice job. Um, Columbus did a good job of bunkering down and and holding the fort, uh, but there were still all those chances. And you have a young Kyle Laren, you have a young uh, Carlos Rivas, uh, who were getting. They had 11 of the shots between the two of them and no goals. Uh, And, you know, when you have a young player, they're going to be inconsistent. They're going to be up one game and down the next, and that's just the way it is until you get, uh, you know, your bearings in in professional sports. I mean, in any sport, really. Uh, You don't rely on rookies. You don't rely on on young players and expect to get great results every night. But Orlando fought through it. Uh, They did manage to get... You know the game tied up. Pedro Ribeiro is another guy who is he's been in the league a couple of years, but he's still a young guy. But at least he's got that experience that he can come in and and make an impact on the game like he did the other night. And you know the best individual goal by far of the season, I, I would say. Austin, how about you? Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. And it's really wild that he was playing in the USL with Harrisburg as a center back last year. And now, now all of a sudden he's scoring 25 yard goals, um, you know, to, in, in really tough circumstances, just coming back from a hamstring tear. Uh, and he's, you know, he's one of the, the leading scorers on the team. Surprisingly, I think he's got three goals, uh, to his credit this year. And it seems that every time Kaká scores a goal, any time that 
Ribeiro plays with Kaká, he also scores. So that could be something good going down the line. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, Ribeiro's uh, people are saying that he should be, you know, starting at striker um, now. Uh, I'm not sure I can agree with that just because of his lack of pace. Uh, he's more suitable for, you know, playing where Kaká is kind of holding up play and kind of distributing. But, eh, you know, I'm being picky. He, uh, I really, I really do want to see him play more, but I just can't think of somewhere where you could put him that wouldn't really slow down the game for Orlando. And, and Orlando really likes to kind of play, um, not necessarily fast, but they like to play quick and you know try and get the ball up the line, have the uh, the fullbacks come and uh, you know d- deliver crosses. And I just don't know how that would work if Ribeiro plays on that left wing um, when Shea is out or at striker. Well, it definitely gives uh, Adrian Heath some options. I mean, he could go to a 4-3-3 uh, and play Kaká up top in between uh, maybe Ribeiro and Patterson here while we're, we're missing Laren. Uh, Rocha's still out at the U-20 uh, World Cup where he's killing it, um, picking right up where he left off. He he was just starting to turn the corner uh, when he left Orlando City to go rejoin uh, the Honduras U-20 team. Uh, Adrian Heath said, uh, you know, they're finally getting – the Brian Rochez, they're finally seeing the Brian Rochez that they paid for, that they bought uh, when they went to scout him. And uh, you saw it in the, the Ponte Preta friendly. He was a beast. And then he, in his next appearance in the MLS, he came in and, and really played well in, uh, you know, toward the end of the next game. So uh, Rochez is a guy, another young guy, another very skilled guy. I think the, the thing that we as fans have the hardest time doing is to stay, you know, calm and to stay patient uh, when you, when you're thinking about a team that, you know, we think about Kaká, we think about Brexhe, we think about Aurelian Collin and Tally Hall, and we think this is a team that can make some waves, but when you're relying on goals from young guys, you have to be patient and take the ups and downs. And the team now, unbeaten in its last three, two of them are draws. Uh, one was a, you know, I'd say a good draw. You go to San Jose and you go down a man early and uh, you end up getting a draw and coming home with the point. That's a good draw. Maybe not as good a draw to draw at home when you're up a man 70 minutes, but still considering they were losing the game in the 89th minute, you know, can't be too unhappy with rescuing a point. And then of course, uh, drub in the galaxy in, in between there. So uh, this is a team that's shown that it's capable, but it's also shown that it is young and prone to mistakes, and they don't yet have the uh, ability to overcome those mistakes. But, Andrew, the team is getting healthier, and if we can just weather these international call-ups, um, you know, maybe down the stretch this team can put together some wins and get into the playoffs. I, I think they have to. And, I mean, I, you know, we talk about young players being a weakness, but young players are also players that have the ability to play for the full length of the season. You know, we've seen those older players like uh, Diego Costa who can only play, you know, once every 10 days, whereas, you know, modern-day soccer just doesn't allow for that anymore. You have to be able to deal with kind of everything coming at you all at once, the the double game weeks, the three games in seven days or eight days, and just try to pull it through. And I think that realistically we're seeing, you know, we're getting the good and the bad, and, you know, having watched Orlando City for a very long time, you know, this is pretty much the same storyline that we had for some of our USL days too. You know, we had young players and you were screaming for the win and they were just making those silly little mistakes that come with time um, that they hadn't quite gotten out of their system. I think that if we can stay healthy, um, you know, we're going to lose a few people to international call-ups. That's not necessarily a bad thing. More experience is always good, especially playing at a higher level. Um, if they can stay fit, I think we've got a good chance to grab that last playoff spot, probably over someone like Chicago on next opponents. All right, well, we're going to certainly get into the Chicago game here. We got, we have a guest coming in, and is, it, we're going to talk a little bit about the Chicago Fire on Saturday night, um, first trip to Chicago. Uh, that's an 8.30 p.m. start time. Um, but uh, before we do that, just to wrap up the, the Columbus game, um, you know, Who's your man of the match, Austin? And and what what were your you know key takeaways from the game? I think my man of the match was probably Pedro Ribeiro, even though he only played about fifteen minutes or so. Uh, 
just because he came in there and, you know, immediately affected the game. He had, obviously, the goal that everyone talks about, but he also had a really good chance towards the end, uh, you know, in the 90th minute, where he just put it just a tiny bit wide of the goal. Um, and, you know, he, he came in there and created a lot of chances, and uh, that that kind of didn't happen for the first 75 minutes. So I that's why I give him man of the match. And then some takeaways. Um, Carlos Rivas, he's a big takeaway because so many fans have been on his case ever since he's come into every game. Uh, I've heard, I've been, you know, fo- following along on Twitter. Uh, I, I just see all the hate just pouring out and out and, you know, it's like, oh, he should never play again. Sell him. Get rid of him. Why is he in the game right now? On and on and on. And <laughs> the fact that he's getting destroyed like that is unbelievable. He's 20 years old. He's never played in the MLS before. He's in a new country with a new way of life, speaking a new language. That takes a lot of time to get used to. And to, for people to think that someone who's you know that young, who's never been out of Colombia and never played with another team before, it can just come in and automatically be a goal-scoring machine like he was back home is ridiculous. And, right, and people don't realize how 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 he's been injured in and out of training yeah. since he's really been here, and and he had just completed his first consecutive weeks of training before that game. Yeah. It was his first start in MLS at his natural position, and uh, as you mentioned, twenty years old. I I. I just want to say something about his when you say natural position. I really don't consider him a left midfielder. Every, every and and I'll, I'll kind of give a, a summation of why. Every time I saw him making runs, he'd always try and get to the central part of the pitch. So he'd leave his left midfield role and kind of try and be a striker. And I don't know if that was by design, but it, it just seems like he wants to be more of a uh, you know a central striker getting into the middle of the pitch rather than uh, being that left midfielder. Because I don't think he was a left midfielder up in Deportivo Cali. I think he was a striker back then. So this is – so left midfield I think is a new position for him actually. Well, he's played both, and and I know that he he was brought in because of his prowess in both positions. I remember talking to Mark Watson before the season started – and he had, he had told us they saw him as a striker, even though he was more of a left wing where in on his club. Okay. So um, he, you know, plus you know if you look at what he's doing now in in Adrian Heath's system, the reason that the wings pinch in is to give or, or the, the I'm sorry the the attacking midfielders on the edges right. pinch in is to give the those left backs. and right backs a chance to run forward and get into space. So I think he was doing a lot of things right. What he wasn't doing was he wasn't. He wasn't aware of when he had Luke Bowden outside of him, mm-hmm. um, which could have made a huge difference in, in some of those scoring chances. Uh, and that's going to come with time, and who knows if Luke was letting him know he's there, too, because it takes – communication is a two-way street. You know, you, you, you're not – if, if you don't see somebody coming up behind you, they don't let you know they're there. You know, you're not going to – you're not going to pass the ball. You're going to go ahead and take the shot. Mm-hmm. So I know some fans are a little frustrated with Carlos Rivas. I say be patient. It's, you know – uh, it's easy to criticize the new guys because you haven't seen them enough. I, I remember people commenting, "I can't wait to see Martin Patterson," and then he played all of 13 minutes, and people were like, oh, "He's a he's a red card waiting to happen. He's terrible. Get him out of here." Because <laughs> he had all of one foul in those 13 minutes and happened to get a yellow card on it. Um, you know, we haven't seen what these guys can do yet. For you know, Patterson came in and and he played in an unnatural position when he came in the other night, so he he didn't affect the game at all, but. It is nice to see Pedro Ribeiro pick up where he left off because he was really in good form when he uh, tore his hamstring. And it's nice to see him uh, returning and not, really not missing a beat. He says that he's, he feels stronger than before, but not as fit. So uh, hopefully another week of training, he'll get a little more fit. And um, Andrew, before we get to our next segment, why don't you tell me what you think lineup changes we'll see for Saturday night? Um, I, you know, it's going to be hard to know because I feel like we're in the same kind of ballpark as Chicago, really. Um, and, it's, you know, some people that were potentially on the fringe, like Avia, um, you know, they had a good game the other day. Um, 
I, you know, we're talking about Rivas and, and age mm-hmm. and things like that. I would say that I don't expect Rivas to start. I don't think he gave Bowden anywhere near as much coverage as he needed to um, for the wing-back system that we're trying to play. Um, mm-hmm. I know Lewis came back and he got a few minutes. Whether or not he's, you know, 70, 80 minutes match fit, I don't know. Um, I might like to see the change there just to give and they've also got that camaraderie as well of being friends and, you know, having played in the system together before, too. Um, other than that, I don't really see, I guess, Shea's going to be gone. Um, you know, we kind of already, you know, Rebus was there and it's going to switch it out. And I would like to see Neil come in, I think, just to firm up that left side. Because Bowden was definitely at fault for the first one, but he was dragged out of position due to Rebus just not tracking back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would I would say that if we see some changes, here's what I expect. I would say that maybe we see Ribeiro and Avila with Kaká in the midfield, with Laren starting up top. I don't think Laren's done enough bad things mm-hmm. to warrant being taken out. I thought I thought he did a lot of good things, even though he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn on Saturday. Um, you know, I guess it's possible that Patterson would start, but I, I really expect Laren to start. And I think Ribeiro's got to be on the field, and I think that Adrian Heath probably would agree after what he saw on Saturday. Uh, I think we'll see Aurelian Collin come back into the team. And I think he'll come in for Seb Hines, because I think Hines... Uh, St. Ledger has come in and not really put a foot wrong, and Hines kind of got out of uh, out of position and, and you know, kind of led to the Camara goal. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think maybe that would be enough to to maybe warrant having him take a seat. My uh, I I don't the, my, I I I feel like Hines and St Ledger have developed a partnership, and I have less. I think Colin gets caught out of position a lot. Um, and I know you know we're kind of at this point we're just looking under a magnifying glass to say you know who would come in and out, but Colin for me is always the that risk. Um, Whereas Hines, I, I haven't felt that the past few weeks watching him and St. Ledger play. I feel like they have that camaraderie of being able to play really well together. Um, it's just been less scary than watching Colin go halfway up the pitch and make a tackle and then not know whether or not he's going to stay on the field. Um, <laughs> I, I would rather get caught out of position. And Hines has been caught out of position, but then he's also managed to make him up a few times too. Um, you know, we focus on those one mistakes and but then again isn't when's his loan done is his loan actually done sometime soon i think july no, i think he yeah he's he's actually said that he's here it's he's here basically it's the team's option if they want to keep him around okay. for the rest of the season so that's what he told me so um, it's a good problem to have with three really solid center backs because we were really worried about the defense oh, yeah. before the season started. And I think you can't really go wrong. I I'm, I feel comfortable with any two of those three starting at center back. So um, so I think it's time to basically – we were going to talk about the Women's World Cup a little bit, but I think we're going to go ahead and uh, for just for time's sake, we're going to go ahead and bring in our, our uh, guest and uh, talk a little bit about the Chicago Fire match on Saturday. I do want to point out that we took the high road. We could have uh, we've been pretty much blast put on full blast by Columbus Crew fans for the last week and not going to take the bait. So <laughs> uh, unlike unlike some other podcasts on SB Nation, I'm not going to call anybody, you know, terrible people. I'm not going to do that. So uh, why don't we get to our uh, to our guest this week and ta- talk a little bit about the Orlando City at Chicago Fire. All right, joining us this week, our special guest is Sean Spence, the editor-in-chief from Hot Time in Old Town, the SB Nation Chicago Fire blog. Sean, thanks for being with us tonight. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's our pleasure. Uh, And first of all, my condolences, because I know we're getting you on Wednesday night after your team has just um, saw a 1-0 lead evaporate and and fell to D.C. United, a tough game on the road. yeah, I wanted to ask you uh, uh, what what is intriguing to me about this team is it looks it, it, it it's not showing up in the standings quite yet, but it looks like this team is a lot better than last year, uh, a team that drew seemingly every week last year. 
what is this Chicago Fire team like? Do you think it's better? Do you think it is a, a more formidable team this year? I I absolutely think the roster is better. Um, the uh, you know last year at left back we had Gonzalez Cigares who'd been a really loyal servant to the club but was on his last legs. He's now uh, working with the academy, and we replaced him with Joven Jones, who I think is the pickup of the season for the Fire. A really dynamic Trinidadian kid. He's like 23. He'd had a couple tryouts with like Toronto FC and somebody else in MLS and never stuck. Um, but he's really dynamic. He's quick. Uh, he, you know, he's not uh, helpless defensively, um, and he's good with the ball at his feet. Um, so, you know, he's been a great addition. I mean, if you go go place by place through the, you know, starting 11 and the first four or five subs, I would say that this is a much deeper roster. You know, we were starting Quincy America up, up top last year. He's probably, you know, second or third choice this year, and it's like that right through the roster. Um, so, yes, I, I think that the team is better. Um, unfortunately, the difficult part about MLS is you're hitting a moving target as the league seems to improve year on year, um, especially the last decade or so, in a way that makes it difficult to climb the mountain, you know. Right. Um, everybody improves every year a little bit, it seems like. And, uh, you know, but last year's team, um, you know, I, I think after they fired Frank Klopas and they let the entire front office go, basically, at the end of 2013, um, and there were there are whispers that there was something, you know, not right about the way that front office is functioning, whether someone was making money on uh, in another way or what, it's hard to say. Um but since then we've you know, we've seen them steadily kind of clean up the roster and add more talent. Um the question is whether that's gonna you know, win the games. Um so you know, yet to be seen. Gotcha. That 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 front office situation kind of sounds like the Bulls a little bit too. Is that that's just the Chicago thing? A little bit, you know. Um, you know, Klopas, unlike Thibodeau, uh, Klopas was a was a is a Ring of Fire member. Like, you know, he's in our Hall of Fame basically, um, and was you know a, a, a very good player for those very good teams when the Fire entered the league like gangbusters and won everything um, and that us old people remember. Um, so letting him go is emotional, you know, um, but watching the roster he had built kind of, you know, stagger and claw its way through 34 games last season, um, you know, I, I don't feel as bad about him being replaced now. Like, okay, this is definitely a better roster, you know, um, for whatever reason than uh, what we wound up with. Gotcha. You know, part of that roster is uh, one member of that roster was a member of Orlando City for about five seconds. Yeah. Uh, Eric Eric Gehrig that we selected in the uh, the expansion draft and then sent your way. Uh, You know, I think some of our fans remember that expansion expansion draft and remember him being picked up. Mm. Why don't you give us a little bit of an update on how he's doing, how he's fitting in with the fire, what kind of player he's been. Um, well, you know, Eric Gehrig is, uh, he, he fits right in and I have a feeling he would have fit right in with you. Um, I, he, he seems like the kind of guy who is going to fit right in with pretty much any team. He's, you know, he's self-motivated, he's a leader, he's positive, uh, he works hard. Um, and he's, you know, he's self-effacing. He doesn't feel like he's in there to, to beat everyone and, you know, He's not. He's not trying to be Conan. You know, he doesn't want to mm-hmm. crush his enemies and see the driven before him. He's just trying to play some football, um, and he's played pretty well for us. You know, he's got some flexibility. He can play out right. Uh, he can play in the middle. He played in the middle of the night and did not have a great night. Um, he he did some ball watching that cost us at least one goal, um, but overall he's been pretty sharp, uh, a good presence, and uh, you know. I think you could have used him, um, given what you've you guys have gone through in the first few games this year. But you know, hard to say. I mean, he's a Chicago guy; he's from the region, um, and I think he wanted to come home. So you know, that was that was one of the the kind of threads of the rebuilding this off season was kind of repatriating Chicago guys like Mikey Stevens and Eric Garrick. So uh, you know, we're glad to have him. 
Gotcha. Now I wanted you you talked earlier about like the you know re uh you know redo of the roster and whatnot. Uh you know, one of the big guys for you, you last year was Harry Ship. Uh you kinda right. hit the ground running uh and is doing almost the same this year. He had a, a very nice goal um just this past weekend. Uh talk about how he's you know, he's he's been he was a homegrown player uh last yep. year. T- talk about how he's been really effective for you guys so far. Uh, you know, Harry, you know, I've written a lot of words about Harry, and I'm trying to kind of get the idea out there that, that Harry is a different kind of American attacking player. You know, Americans, um, I don't know whether it's because of the NFL or the, the kind of subtleties of the beautiful game escaping us, but we really do tend to get obsessed with how high a guy can jump and how, you know, how quickly he moves in his first step and how why his you know, what's his top rated, you know, we're obsessed by size and speed and physicality. Mm-hmm. And Harry Ship is a different kind of player. I, I, I've consistently called him an enganch, which is a South American term. It means, it means hook. And it's kind of like an Argentinian term, I believe, that, that for, that describes a certain kind of playmaker who is a little more still and allows the, uh, runs around him to kind of, you know, like his stillness, is a counterpoint to the motion around it. And Harry's like that. Um, he, when he plays really well, a lot of times the things he's doing are very subtle. You know, he's, uh, he's taking a kind of an awkward pass and stealing it right away and then taking a step like eight inches to the side that opens up a whole different lane for him to spray that through ball to through. And, you know, um, it, 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 he bears close watching. Now, like, like a lot of young players, he struggles to consistently impose himself on the game. Um, and tonight was a great example. Uh, absent Sean Maloney, who's with Scotland for two weeks. You, you guys won't see him either. Um, Harry really needed to come find the ball. And um, despite not being man-marked at all, just didn't do it um, consistently. And, and so, you know, Harry Ship is, a, is, I believe, you know, potentially a, a national team player. Um, but he's got to, you know, he's got to continue to develop the things he does well and, and, you know, continue to get more stamina and all the things that, you know, he's struggled with in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we talked about that actually earlier on the, on the podcast here with, uh, with our own young players about getting consistent and, and sort of imposing themselves on the game as well. Right. So, uh, so I've, I've actually seen, I think maybe four of the Chicago games this year. Mm-hmm. And one guy that yeah. really stands out is, is David Akam, who scares the living <laughs> crap out of me. Yeah. Um, he's like, he, he's a guy who can move probably even better than Dominic Oduro, but he actually puts the ball in the net, unlike Dominic Oduro. Right. So he's a guy that really terrifies me. He's really brought a new dimension to the club, hasn't he? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, David Akam. Should is a guy that we should probably you know, I'm if if I'm running the fire you know in my little fa- football manager fantasy here, I'm planning to sell David Akam for eight to ten million dollars at once the season's up, because he he absolutely is among the more exciting offensive players I've seen in this league for a while, um, and you know, like I so I spent the last the last you know question poo-pooing Americans' love of, of speed. Um, <laughs> but here, you know, there's a reason Americans love speed, because it really does work. And Akam, um, like, it, 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 imagine Oduro's, you know, raw foot speed paired with uh, paired with a really great opportunistic first touch. He's, he's fantastic at, you know, getting that little touch on the ball that springs him. Um, where mm-hmm. Oduro is constantly always, you know, it seems like he's constantly kind of passing a through ball to himself and seeing if he can catch it. Um, mm, yeah, where, chasing where, the ball. Right, where Akam, it's not like that. You know, he'll, he's, you know, he's chipping the ball one way and spinning another and betting that he can cover the next eight steps faster than he can cover four and usually winning that bet. Um, and... Uh, you, you know, it, it really does affect every team we play against. Um, and, you know, I have a hard time imagining putting him on the bench at this point, uh, for even for rest, <laughs> because, you know, the, the, 
space that he creates, especially when we have both Maloney and Ship, they need a lot of space. You know, they're schemers. They need they need people to kind of be. They need that Brownwinian motion of of uh, of the defense. You know, getting pulled to one side to really be effective. And once you get that, then they then their kind of great mind can create all kinds of difficult triangles to handle. Um, uh, and having someone like a com who can make that first step of the getting everyone in motion almost a given is is uh, the kind of you know tactical lockdown. It's hard to you get addicted to. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. I don't know how the fire will handle if they have to face a static defense that you know not you know wearing their oh shit face and somebody blurs past them again. Gotcha. Um, now, I, I noticed something looking through the, the stats for tonight's uh, you know game you guys played against East United. Um, yep. John Johnson was on the bench. What was up with that? Yeah. Uh, that is a good question and one we've kind of started to poke around about. Um, in an interview this week, Frank Yalla said that he felt like, you know, okay, the game against New York City FC was, the first half was as comprehensive a domination as you've seen in a while, right? A calm, a calm caused, caused a red card, which he does like every other game. And then uh, and then the fire just sat on New York City, just kind of kept the ball in there in, scored a couple goals, easy breezy, this is great. Um, and on a kind of a nothing counter right at the end of the first half, Jonathan gives up a ridiculous rebound off of a, you know, what was not an easy save, surely. But, I mean, turns that save into a, a tap-in, and that kind of turned the game around. They went into halftime with the wind in their sails and came out and kept fighting, where we really felt like, you know, you could have stepped in their throat. And I think after that, Frank Yellup decided that Sean Johnson, who had been playing for the national team and every other kind of thing, last three or four years going on European um, training in the off season, really hadn't had a break for several years. And I, I think at that point, Yellup decided he was going to set it. So it sounds like this is a planned break for Johnson. Either that or after the fact, they benched Johnson and they decided to say, you know, this week, oh, hey, by the way, this is all planned, it's cool. Um, but yeah, Bush just started three games in a row, um, and it's played pretty well. I mean, not, you know, he hasn't turned into the dominating performances, but he's, he's played pretty well. Um, and I, we don't know how long that's going to go. Uh, we don't lose a lot with John Bush in goal. Um, he's not the, you know, lights out, mind blowing elite shot stopper that Sean Johnson can be on his best day, but his distribution's better. He probably takes better angles. So, you know, we'll take it. All right. So why don't we get into Saturday night? What we, uh, you know, what do you expect to be like the key matchups of, of this particular game? And, you know, who do you think for either side would, would be the difference maker? Uh, okay. Well, um, first of all, I expect that the, the guys that got rested tonight, the regular starters who got rested tonight will come back in. So Igbona Nike will start up top, I'm guessing. We'll probably see Coach East in the midfield, and Adelton will come back in at center back. Um, I, you know, everything for for the Pirates and Purple starts with Ricky Kaka, right? And um, so I expect that the Fire will have some kind of schema designed to limit his space in Zone 14. Um, now, whether that means you know, they're going to have Matt Polster follow him around the pitch or Coach East follow him around the pitch or <laughs> someone else follow him around the pitch. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know that they're probably going to man mark him, but I think that they're, he's going to he's going to need to move the ball quickly um, uh, against us because I think that especially with the kind of the struggles you guys have had when he does not produce – um, I think that's going to be the key for the for the fire. Um, you know, at this point, the offensively going against the Orlando City defense, you have to feel like you know, we're going to create some chances. The fire are um, they? You know, they're averaging 17 or 18 shots a game. I mean, we, we create a lot of looks. You know, 
pretty much every game. And mm-hmm. I don't see anything from Orlando that indicates that that's going to stop um, necessarily. But a lot of it will come down to our, you know, our bugaboo all year has been finishing. Um, I think you guys. Hey, ours too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, as I say, like, we, this is a place we can find some common ground. Um, like, oh, that was beautiful. How did he, you know, like a guy putting, he's, he's teed up 10 yards from goal and somehow goes out for a throw. What, what, <laughs> what did he do? You know, um, yeah, I, you know, uh, you know, I was, I am disappointed that we didn't play our first 11 tonight. Um, but I think that we are likely to rotate a little bit less off of that first 11 against y'all at home. And, you know, I hope that we can, you know, not give up soft, stupid ball watching goals like tonight. Uh, and we'll be okay. <laughs> Did you throw that y'all in for us? Oh, well, I, you know, I lived in Houston for five years. <laughs> Okay. So All right. I kind of got the habit. There's no second person plural in English, you know. So you were uh, so, so you were fixing to use that y'all all along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, fixing to is not one I use very often, but you know. Oh, okay. I, I mean, I, uh, I'm okay I, with it. You know, I'm not. I'm not here. <laughs> you know, I'm not hating it. <laughs> yeah, I lived. I lived. Uh, I lived in Amarillo for two years. It's very big there. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah. Exactly. Everybody's fixing to do something in Amarillo. That's right. Sean, before we let you get out of here, um, we're going to have to get uh, your final, you know, final score prediction. Uh, it's just sort of a tradition here of all 15 of our podcasts that we've had ah, so far. Okay. Um, but before we do that, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you guys on the web and on Twitter? I write about uh, the Chicago Fire and American football at large on, at hot time in the old town among other places hot time in old town.com uh, on Twitter. I'm shield chafing. Who's a uh, Danish hero from uh, Beowulf. S D Y L D S D E A F I N G is that. And I write a lot of places, but some other places too. Um, yeah, that's the, uh, you know, I, my thing is that I don't like to um, use screenshots and stuff. I'd rather use just words. So if you like words and like reading words about soccer, I'm, that's my thing. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So um, we're really bad at predictions, but we give them anyway. So we always mm-hmm. make our guests do that too. So, so what do you think is okay. going to happen on Saturday? What's your score prediction? Um, I think Saturday is going to be kind of a wild game. I think that, uh, the Fire are going to jump out to an early lead, give up the lead, and win the game. I think it's probably going to be like 3-2 um, in a kind of crazy game. I think the Fire are real kiss-up, kick-down specialists right now. You know, if you're below them in the standings, they're probably going to stomp you. And if you're above them in the standings, you're probably getting three. So, uh, <laughs> you know, unfortunately we're above you this week, so... Okay, well there you have it. We'll see. We'll, we'll we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens Saturday night. And uh, but but anyway, we really appreciate you taking the time, um, especially on a night when I know you're writing a lot. Um, yeah, you know, to be with us. Sorry, <laughs> I'm not anxious <laughs> to go back to writing right now. <laughs> exactly. Sean Spence, the uh, the editor in chief from Hot Time in the Old Town. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. It was a pleasure, guys. See you next time. Well, we're just about ready to call this thing a completed podcast, and we do want to thank our, our guest, Sean Spence from Hot Time in Old Town, for joining us and uh, letting us know what is going on with the Chicago Fire. Before we get out of here, though, of course we have to give you our predictions, which are going to be incredibly wrong, as always. Um, uh, mostly. I think eventually there's going to be a day when one of us just hits it exactly on the nose and everybody's going to just freak out and we're just going to retire right then and there and not do any more of these. Um, so... We'll start, Andrew. You're not on the podcast as often, so we're going to start with you. Give me your prediction. What do you think is going to happen at Chicago on Saturday night? I am going to predict a two-one win for Orlando. I think Kakar is going to get one from somewhere other than the penalty spot, um, <laughs> and then it is going to be a potluck who grabs the other one. I like to see Seren taking more long-range shots, um, but I, I, I got to say it's two-one for Orlando. 
All right. So uh, one of the things we didn't talk about, Dar- Darwin Saren is another one of those guys we're going to be losing on international duty, but it would be nice to see him uh, score again. And uh, Austin David, what do you think is going to happen on Saturday? Hmm. I'm going to go with 2-1 as well. Um, I'm going to say Kaká scores a penalty, though. Uh, <laughs> keep the you know keep the trend going. And then the second goal, I'm going to go with Christian Higuita. I'm going to say he gets one somehow. Just, somehow. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he'll... He, he'll purchase one in the lobby. <laughs> uh, somehow he's going to get a goal. Um, okay, well, that's that's... Good. I, you know, I'm. I have a hard time thinking that we're going to be able to handle David Akam's speed. He's got so much pace, and he terrifies me. Mm. So I'm going to say a two-two draw. I'm going to say it's another draw, but another decent result because it's on the road. Um, I don't know who's going to score the goals. I'd really like to see uh, Eric Avila get uh, award, rewarded for his work last week because man was he so good in that first half last week. He looked like a freaking MLS All Star. Um, he does a lot of the dirty work that people don't see, so people don't like him. And, um, you know, he's not a scorer, per se, but he does have a goal this season on a nice bit of build-up play uh, against the LA Galaxy. Um, also, I would really like to see uh, a goal from somebody on the back line and, you know, one of our fullbacks. I'd really like to see, I'd like to see Rafael Ramos score a goal. That's what I'd like to see. So 2-2, hopefully with Ramos and uh, Avila getting the goals. But I'll take two goals, doesn't matter from who, really. And I'll take more if they want to give them to us, because I'm a greedy bastard. Hmm. So, all right, guys. Well, we'll see what happens on Saturday. We'll come back next week. We'll talk about it, and we'll break that down. And then we have uh, DC United after that. Oh, my goodness. Three games against DC United before we played some of our opponents once. Um, But anyway... uh, so hopefully you're you're listening to this and you're you're subscribed on iTunes or Stitcher Radio and and uh, you got that all set up so that it automatically downloads for you every week. That'd be great. Uh, you can uh, if you could leave us a little bit of feedback or, or give us a rating on iTunes. That would really help us and uh, it would help maybe bump us up in their you know in their uh, feed so that uh, you know more people could discover us and that would be really awesome. But uh, so. Until next time, I am Michael Citro on behalf of Andrew Harrison and Austin David saying, Go City!